0: Listen in now for the Meditation and Mindfulness series featuring Christine's interviews with experts who will help you learn the best tips and advice to make meditation a routine and habit you can't live without.
1: Hi, and welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with Christine Carlson. Before we begin our wonderful interview for meditation and mindfulness today, let's go ahead and get really present in our bodies and take a golden pause. So just begin to breathe with me and sit comfortably with your legs uncrossed and your hands open on your lap or if you're sitting Indian style on the floor just sit upright. A little bit of a majestic posture always helps to stay alert and just begin to breathe. Breathe in through your nose, And just fill your chest and your belly with oxygen, pure air. And then exhale and let go. Just relax. This time as you breathe in, breathe in golden sunlight all the way to the top of your head, to the tips of your fingers, to your toes. And exhale and relax, letting go. This time as you breathe in, breathe in love. Fill your body with love. Open your heart, fill your core. Fill your body with love. And as you exhale, let go of fear. Let go. This time as you breathe in, place your hand on your heart, activating your heart, opening your heart, And think of something you feel incredibly grateful for. It could be a person, a place, a thing. could be just this moment right here, breathing right now. And spend a moment there. As you breathe in again, exhale and relax. Well, I have to tell you, I am um, so honored by our guest today. This is going to be such an amazing completion for the Meditation and Mindfulness series. Bob Roth is one of the most experienced and sought after meditation teachers in America. And over the past 40 years, Bob has taught transcendental meditation to many thousands of people and authored an authoritative book on the subject called Transcendental Meditation it's been translated into twenty languages. Bob currently serves as the Chief Executive Officer of the David Lynch Foundation, a charity which has brought meditation to over 500,000 inner youth schools and underserved schools in 35 countries. That's amazing. To veterans and their families who suffer from post-traumatic stress and women and children who are survivors of domestic violence. Bob also directs the Center for Leadership Performance, another nonprofit, which is bringing meditation to Fortune 100 companies, government organizations, and nonprofit charities. Bob is the host of Sirius XM radio show Success Without Stress and has spoken about meditation to industry leaders at such gatherings as Google, Zeitgeist Aspen Ideas Festival, Wisdom 2.2, and Summit. Welcome Bob. I am so honored to speak with you today. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Well, I'm very I'm very honored and happy to be on your show and as I said before we started, I really applaud and appreciate you for bringing this message out to so many people. It's a message that just, you know, just what your mindfulness and meditation is a message that absolutely needs to be heard and you're doing a wonderful job of doing that.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Well, Let's begin by um, talking about just maybe giving our listeners some um, history of transcendental meditation, which is what you specialize in. Would you mind going there to begin with?
2: Sure. No, no. Very happy to do that. Transcendental meditation was first introduced in the United States back in 1959 by uh, a great Vedic uh, meditation sage and teacher, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And people don't know of Maharishi, that he was a physicist by training before he became a great meditation teacher. He had studied in the 1930s and 40s with the top physicists in India. And then he had an opportunity to study with a great meditation teacher, he a scientist of consciousness, and his, whose name was Gramananda Saraswati. And Maharishi became, studied with him for 13 years and um, rediscovered the ancient meditation practice of effortless transcending transcendental meditation, came to the United States in 1959 and immediately headed to scientists at Harvard Medical School and UCLA Medical School and said meditation has very real, very substantive benefits for many of the most um, in, uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? You, you can't, you can't your problems, issues, concerns, um, health problems, that nothing else can address because it address, it utilizes the power of the mind to access its unlimited power at its source. So he started teaching transcendental meditation in the United States in 1959. I started meditating in 1969 as a student at the University of California at Berkeley where I was going to school. And I wanted to be a United States Senator like Bobby Kennedy was and change the world. And then I became, I was so inspired by what the effects transcendental meditation had, I started became a teacher with Maharishi in nineteen seventy two and I've been teaching it ever since. But the history of TM goes back over five thousand years. Wow. It predates that's, that's Buddhism and Buddha, predates Buddhism, Hinduism, all the isms. It's just a s yoga is part of that. Yoga is not a, a part of any religion. Yoga and Ayurveda and all these science of sciences of the mind and of nature, those it predates way, way, way back long answer to your short question.
1: No, that's a wonderful answer. I, I learned a few things in there I hadn't heard before too. So thank you. <laughs> I I started practicing TM only a couple of years ago. And because I um, had gone through some post-traumatic stress at the loss of my husband and some other very stressful situations and my my normal meditation practice really wasn't Um, doing it for me. And so I found TM and I was just shocked at the simplicity of it and, and the, you know, the beauty of just how simple it is. And, and I want to just share, like you alluded to Maharishi and his very, like, oh my gosh, he was so pre ahead of his time, wasn't he? That he knew to go to Harvard and do research on TM. I mean, didn't, didn't he do over 600 scientific studies?
2: Yes, uh, since 1970, the first study was published in Science Magazine, and then again reconfigured and published in Scientific American in 1972. And interesting, the title of this first study in science was, um, is Transcendental Meditation Create a Fourth Major State of Consciousness? So the first study wasn't about, oh, here's a technique that's going to reduce high blood pressure or make me happier. But it was, is Transcendental Meditation access a forgotten fourth major state of consciousness different from waking, dreaming, and sleeping? But not an altered state of consciousness, not like hypnosis or something, but major. And because it provided the body with such a profound state of physical relaxation, and yet woke up the mind to its own inner unbounded nature. And that was the first study, and since then, I mean, Probably 200 independent universities and research institutions have conducted research on TM, and it's been published in all the top journals, including the American Medical Association, which is ordinarily not a big friend of things like meditation, the AMA, but the results were so significant for reducing heart health, heart disease, that um, now, as you said, over 600 studies have been conducted, and 370 of them have been published in top journals.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And, and really, um, it, it, and what, what would make TM different than other forms of meditation exactly?
2: I like to use an example of, uh, of, a, of an ocean. Okay, so you're on, you're on the, in a little boat and you're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And all of a sudden, you get these giant waves, 30, 40, 50 foot high waves. And you could think, oh, my God, you know, that's big whole ocean is an upheaval. But if you could do a cross-section of the ocean out there, you'd realize that the ocean is these little itty-bitty 30-foot waves in comparison to the fact that the ocean is a mile deep. And if the depth in truth is a mile deep, and at the depths of the ocean, it's silent. So the surface of the ocean is turbulent. The depths of the ocean is silent. And there are different medications, three basic, actually, research shows, three basic types of medications um, that try to access that silence at its depth, And one is called, is this too much detail or is this okay? No, no,
1: this is perfect. No, yeah, just keep going. I think it's fascinating.
2: Okay. So the first is the research on the brain shows that the first area of research is, um, I mean, the first type of, it's called focused attention and that's a concentration form of meditation. And that's where you're trying to clear your mind of thought. So, a meditation where you close your eyes and you concentrate on your breath or you concentrate on a mantra or you concentrate on a point between your eyes or you try and push out thought. And that type of meditation um, is like in the analogy, like trying to stop waves on the surface of the ocean. Trying to stop thoughts is very difficult. Right. But it has a value, and its value is it trains the mind to be able to concentrate. And it has its own gamma brain waves signature, which means you're concentrating. The second type of meditation is mindfulness. And mindfulness is part of something called open monitoring. And a mindfulness approach is similar to what you just beautifully did at the beginning of this show, where it is either a visualization or it is a dispassionate observation of your thoughts, of your moods, of your feelings, of your breath, it's it's a wonderful coping tool. So it's two o'clock in the afternoon, and things are really getting intense around the home with the kids, and kids are flipping out, and you're exhausted, or you're at work, and and you just can take two minutes, and you watch your breath, or you take ten breaths in and out slowly, as you said, and that that's like watching the waves rise and fall, and dispassionately. So we don't get too happy on the high waves, and we don't get too Anxious or depressed on the low waves, and so that is mindfulness or open uh, open monitoring and the third is self-transcending and in transcendental meditation, it's not a, as you know, it's not a tool to clear the mind of thoughts on the surface. We're not trying to stop the mind from thinking. that's like impossible nearly. so it's not trying to stop waves. it's also not just watching the, your thought it's actually accessing. Because in TM, it's accessing the silent depth that lies at the depth, the silence that lies within the depth of the mind of every human being. I, I emphasize that again. Every human being has a choppy, noisy, monkey mind, surface thinking mind. But all of us have a level of our mind deep within that's completely settled and silent. and unbounded. It's our own inner nature. And through a mantra which you're taught not, has no meaning and you're taught by a trained teacher. That The trained teacher gives you the sound and teaches you how to use it effortlessly. You just settle down to this silence within and that gives the body profound relaxation and that heals trauma. It's really profound. And we could talk about that in a moment because if you've had a trauma, trauma, traumatizing experience in your life, it scars the brain. It scars the nervous system and transcendental meditation shown to be the most effective approach for healing trauma. Yeah, I,
1: mean, I I was amazed because I had kind of this unawareness of sort of this slight buzzing of anxiety that I felt. And and until I started doing TM, I wasn't even aware that I, I had that buzzing of anxiety. But it was kind of like it was always, it was almost like I was always in fight or flight mode. And then as soon as I started um, taking my class and I immediately noticed it, and, and I, it was like unraveling a ball of yarn inside my belly. It was like I just, con- after I just started practicing, it just continued to unravel in a very subtle way, and then suddenly I just didn't feel it anymore. The, the buzzing of anxiety was just gone after maybe even a couple of weeks of practicing.
2: Beautifully put. And, and the research shows that happens. Um, there's a, a hormone. When any, when any of your listeners or any of us ever feel anxious, which we all do, your body secretes, your, actually your adrenal glands, which sit on your kidneys, secrete a hormone called cortisol. And cortisol, when we have too much of it and everybody has too much of it, is called the stress or the anxiety uh, hormone. And it keeps us awake at night. It undermines our memory. We forget things more often. It compromises our immune system so that we get sick more often. We don't, we're don't; we not as resilient. And it gives an edge, and just an edge to life. And that's like the, the black plague of the 21st century is too much cortisol. And the only way, before you learn PM, the only way to substantially reduce cortisol has been to get a good night's sleep. But a good night's sleep only reduces cortisol levels by like 10%. Whereas 20 minutes of TM reduces, when you meditate, reduces cortisol levels by 30 to
1: 40%. Wow. So it's a
2: real rebooting. And so your feeling of that, the, you know, unwinding of that stress in your stomach from that horrible trauma that you went through, it's not just in your mind. It's not just like you talk therapy and you're coming to grips with something. Trauma scars the way our brain functions. It scars, the body keeps the score it remembers and transcendental meditation by giving access to those deepest creative reservoirs within our mind, silent reservoirs within our mind and giving the body this profound rest heals the brain and heals the nervous system. And so we can move on with our life and yet learn from all the lessons from the past.
1: Yeah. I had a, um, also, I had a friend who, um, she was suffering. I think it was from Parkinson's disease. You know that where you get that shake of your hand and so forth. And and I said, you know, you really ought to just go learn TM. I'll bet it will do wonders for you to you know to calm your your nervous system down. And sure enough, the last time I saw her, she had gone to the same teacher that I went to in Northern California and learned TM and she looked totally different. I mean, she was practically normal with very minimal shaking going on. And she said it's just been amazing for her and her illness. So I imagine there's, I imagine it's unlimited um, the number of, you know, diseases and illness that TM is um, really incredibly helpful for. Yeah,
2: and it's an interesting thing. Um, I, I actually have taught. Many people who have Parkinson's, including, and it, it's public about it, most famously, the actor Michael J. Fox, you know who he is? Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. He's yeah, Fox. I know. Yeah.
2: So, so he's had Parkinson's for 25 years, and quite after all these years, quite severe. and He couldn't sleep in the same bed with his wife, and he couldn't sleep for more than 15 or 20 minutes, and he'd wake up, and his body was almost thrashing about it was so bad. And his wife called me up and asked if I would teach him GM, and I had never taught several years ago. I'd never taught anybody who had Parkinson's disease. And within minutes, all the tremors stopped. And I was almost in tears. I'd never seen anything so dramatic, particularly since Parkinson's, they think it's some neurochemical that's imbalanced. And and Michael heads up a big founder, Michael J. Fox Foundation, which does research on. Parkinson's and we're partnering with him to do a study to find out what it is that because he's now sleeping six, eight hours a night. He's in the same bed with his wife. You know, the, the Parkinson's continues to progress slower, but progress. But he said his quality of life is like night and day. Oh my gosh. The anxiety levels that he used to have is very moving. In fact, he's going to speak on our behalf at a, a benefit in New York in November um, that my friend Ina Clark is putting on. And um, she's at that, that to raise money for that study.
1: Oh, that's incredible. I, I love hearing that kind of story. That's just, it's amazing. And and again, it's just such a simple practice. It's really just two sessions, 20 minutes, twice a day. and. I mean, I often don't get in my second meditation like I do my best, but that tends to be it's actually interesting because that's my best one is in the afternoon. That's when I feel like I get the most out of it. But that's the one that's the hardest to continue to do on an ongoing basis. But I always do it in the morning. And um, and it, it just it makes such a huge difference.
2: No, and I'm going to be your sort of frenzy. meditation teacher or person here and say, morning meditations are more preventative. We do the meditation first thing in the morning, you get get up 20 minutes earlier because it's actually better than 20 minutes of sleep. So that and, and what the morning meditation does, the contrast isn't so much because you've just been in bed and people sometimes say to me, well, why are you doing TM in the morning? You've just been sleeping. Well, sleep is a completely different state of consciousness. From the stand of the way your brain functions, it's very slow. Delta brain waves is slow. That's why people need lots of coffee to keep going in the morning. It's kind of a vulnerable state. And you meditate first thing in the morning, and while you may not feel the contrast, the research shows that your brain has now shifted from delta to something called alpha-1, which is a state of calm and wakefulness, its maximum creative potential your body is far more resilient to the stresses and pressures of the day and meditating in the afternoon, finding those 20 minutes somehow. And I usually, I have to do it the night before. I have to pencil it into my schedule the night before because in the middle of the day, I never find the time, but I put it in as a, as an appointment with myself, hold all calls, just like I would with a friend or a client. Um, and the afternoon gets rid of the stress of the day. And before that, but really importantly, it transforms the quality of your sleep mm. because now you're not taking all the stress of the day into bed with you. And so when you get rid of it at 4 or 5 or 6 o'clock in the, after- in the afternoon or early evening, now your sleep is deeper and more restorative. So it really sets you for the whole next day to get the after- meditation in.
1: Wow, that, that, that just that will motivate me. I'm going to pencil it in my calendar too. <laughs> Well, let me um, ask you about, because you do a lot of work with the schools. Do you want to tell us your favorite story about working with an inner city school, NTM?
2: Yes. Yes, I'd be very happy to. And then if there's time, I want to talk about a new area of research, which is not just helping us get rid of problems, but the whole thing well, how creative can we be and how intelligent can we be How long can we live? Just sort of looking at the the growth value of of meditation at this time. But um, we've had, we call it quiet time. And the quiet time program, we put in schools, hundreds of schools in the U.S. and all over the world. We're in 35 countries. And because the problem of stress and toxic stress and trauma is so acute for Inner-city school kids in particular, but it turns out all school kids are at risk. You know, if anybody, the people who are listening have a, a teenager or even a, a child, I gave a talk in a second grade school with, second grade class with 30 kids. And I said, how many of you kids are anxious? And everybody's hand went up. When I was in second grade, I didn't even know what the word anxious meant. <laughs> and how many of you can't sleep? And all the, of oh, no one they had insomnia second grade. Wow. And... So the problem of stress is so severe. And so we've been invited by many school districts to incorporate what we call quiet time, where the school day begins and ends with a few minutes of TM. And it has been completely transformational in terms of the improvement in academic performance and test scores, you know, grades and test scores, graduation rates, reductions and suspensions and expulsions and violence in the schools. And one thing that, is frequently overlooked, but I think it's the most important thing of them all. That the children and the teenagers report something that they say they just feel happier. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. They just feel happier. That's They're beautiful. Happier. So I will I will tell you one story. Do I have time for Yeah, a story? absolutely.
1: Yeah. We have okay. quite a bit more time. So go ahead.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. So this is a very touching story if this, at this inner city school outside of one of the largest cities uh, in, I mean, an in inner city school, I should say just in a high school in a high crime area of one of the largest cities of the country with a high problem of, of violence and, and Are you speaking of the one in, in San Francisco? Visitation San Francisco? Valley in San Francisco. Yeah. 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 And so very good. You psychic person, you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I yeah. live in the Bay Area, so.
2: <laughs> yeah. Pardon?
1: I said I live in the Bay Area, so.
2: <laughs> yeah. So visitation. I grew up in the Bay Area. Like oh the wow! Thing. So visitation Valley. There was a, a a little. I got a call from a teacher there, and the way they had it set up at visitation Valley is, um, the whole school from first first period, the first twelve minutes of the school school day, the whole school was quiet, absolutely quiet, and um, no. You know, no there was no phone calls, to the secretaries, everybody, just quiet. And during that time, person had a choice between they could meditate, do TM, they could do silent sustained reading, they could nap. And like ninety percent of the kids had learned TM. But they had a policy in order to um, establish sort of discipline in the school, create discipline in the school, that the kids had to be in their seats by the time the first period bell rang to participate with quiet time with their fellow students or else they would have to, they'd have to sit in the hallway. The kids wanted to do it with everybody. So um, I got this phone call from a teacher, and he said that he was quite moved, and he said this morning this little girl had come running into class three minutes late, and she just ran in, out of breath, sat down in her desk, and started to meditate. And he didn't really want to interrupt, but he felt he had to. So he went over to her, and he said, Charlene, You know, I'm sorry, but you're three minutes late. You know the rules, and you can meditate, but you're going to have to meditate in the hallway. And she stood up, and um, she was wearing a white dress, and she had red paint splattered all over her dress. And he looked at her, and he said, Charlie, also, you can't come to school like this. You're just going to have to go home. You can't dress, you know, the dirty dress. You're going to have to change, you know, our rules. And she started crying. And it turned out that wasn't red paint. That was blood. And she had been standing next to her uncle at a bus stop and he had been shot in a drive-by shooting. And that was her, his blood. And think about this. She's 10 years old. The only safe haven she had was her school and the meditation. And she didn't run home because it wasn't a safe haven. And she came there to meditate. And I, when I, I heard that story, I've been, I've been working with the David Lynch Foundation for 11 years now, and I think about that story every day. And it informs and inspires me because how many tens of millions, maybe billion children in the world, to no fault of their own, have that experience? So I head up the David Lynch Foundation, as you said at the beginning, work with amazing teachers uh, all over the world to bring do everything we can to give every child the opportunity to heal that trauma and and uh, change the quality of life of their schools
1: that's amazing bob that what a what a truly inspiring story wow so you had alluded that you wanted to talk about the creativity, the in, increasing creativity that can happen with Transcendental Meditation and some sort of research that's going on right now?
2: You know, meditation in the past, when we go back, when we talk about you know the history of meditation over 5,000 years or 2,500 years or whatever, it wasn't because people then wanted to get rid of stress. They didn't have to get rid of the stress of the, of the 101 You know, during rush hours. San Francisco. (laughs) I'm in New York on the the 495. Um, They weren't sweating the
1: small stuff.
2: (laughs) They weren't sweating not much of anything. (laughs) But what they wanted to do was they wanted to wake up their full creative potential. That was actually an aspiration of people at that time. That you lived your life and you raised a family and you had whatever you did. But that wasn't the only reason why we were here on earth. It was also to sort of like unfold the petals of consciousness. Like you have a, a rose or a lotus or a carnation and it it's a bud, and then you know, you want to sort of water the plant so that the it fully flowers. So there was this assumption that our creative potential was there but hadn't fully flowered. And so meditation was used for that. And along with everything else. And so they use big words to describe that. They talked about self-realization or they talked about enlightenment or higher states of consciousness. And for a long time, if we use those words in modern day, people raise it, roll their eyes and just say, well, that's just woo woo, but you know, new age stuff. But now with the research that's going on with people who have been practicing transcendental meditation for weeks and months and years and decades, they're starting to see a whole new style of brain functioning and a whole new style of physio- physiological functioning that is not the norm, not the norm of a, of a person who's like a, uh, you know, like a veteran of living in modern, stressed out society. And you can see that, in the way the brain functions in the orderly functioning of the brain, of the coherent functioning. So not only in Transcendental Meditation does it create something called Alpha One, which is a state of this deep silence and yet wide awake, but it is something called coherence where the whole brain begins to function in a distinct orderly way, sort of like a symphony. Before the symphony is warming up, it's all over the place, and then the conductor comes and boom you know, makes beautiful music. And the brain ordinarily is just scattered and the brain waves and there's no no coordination. And then as soon as we start meditating, the whole brain begins to flow. The electrical activity gets to flow in this like a this alpha one way, coherent way, the whole brain. And there's something called neuroplasticity. I know this is probably too technical, but it's... No, it's simple.
1: not at all. No? Actually, it isn't. It's, it's yeah. perfect. It's the perfect conversation.
2: So neuroplasticity means the brain is plastic. I mean, the brain is fluid. The plasticity. They used to say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, so therefore you can't teach an old person new new way of thinking. And it's a 100% not true. The brain has a neuroplasticity. If you give the brain a new experience on a regular basis, then the brain, the circuits in the brain, the connections in the brain can adapt. And so that's why when you're young and you learn a song or you or you're, you learn how to play guitar, I used to you know, be a swimmer and I'd do a flip turn and I can do a flip turn just as well as I did almost as when I was 16 because I can't swim, you know, 10th as long. But <laughs> in the brain, there are those connections for the flip turn. So that's a sign of neuroplasticity. When you experience 20 minutes twice a day, this amazing integration of all the different parts of the brain communicating to each other and all like the whole brain in this coherent flow, that coherence, that alpha coherence lasts in activity and it stays with us in activity. That means we're increasingly more creative. We have better judgment. We have better solved problems in, in a simpler, more profound way. We're more innovative in our thinking. And we and that that I think one of the most important things is we have more realization. We live more anchored in ourselves. They they say they say the field independent, which means I'm not I'm not um I'm not so influenced by by people, by people around me. I'm not, if I'm a 15 year old kid at school and I'm meditating, I'm a, a meditator, kids start wanting to take drugs or I, I don't feel like I have to be part of the in crowd. I know better what's right for, for me. I'm truer to myself. And that lesson that we hope the teenager learns, we want to continue to learn ourselves as we get older. Who am I? What am I? How creative can I be? How loving can I be? How compassionate can I be? And this isn't just something we can just make up in our mind and want to live that way. It's actually a product of the way my brain is functioning, the way my cardiovascular system and nervous system is functioning. And I'll just conclude by saying I think the real promise of transcendental meditation is, one, to address the very serious problems we're all experiencing in our lives today, but the knowledge that as we continue to, to meditate, that, that there is a bigger positive vista rather than just, okay, I got to jet up and I'm raising my kids and I, I'm going to retire. I just can't mm-hmm. wait till I raise the money to retire. That we can really grow in amazing ways. that the research is showing it's true. And the ancient texts uh, gave us a hint. So I, I'm very excited about, I think that's the new frontier
1: is that's consciousness so and the
2: brain and human potential.
1: Yeah, that's so exciting. That'll really um transcend the world for sure. the more meditators that we get to do those two twenty minute meditations a day, that that will that could be an an absolutely amazing thing. So tell me, well, Bob, how would somebody yes. how would somebody get started in TM? What's the You're best a great interviewer? Way? I
2: felt like I feel like I've known you my whole life. You're a great interviewer. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Yeah, really. <laughs> I know. I can't wait to meet you someday in person.
2: Yes. Yeah, i like that. So your question was how if a person is interested, they do a simple thing. They go to TM.org, TM.org, and that has all the information about what TM is, what it's not, um, structure of learning. There is a, a tuition that's a nonprofit organization, but there's grants and scholarships and loans. So that anyone can learn no matter what. And if you want to know more about, for information, sake, the work of the David Lynch Foundation, which is what I'm working with to bring meditation to at-risk populations, then you can go to DavidLynchFoundation.org. DavidLynchFoundation.org.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah, I have some interest in that myself. So I want to just say that... Um taking a TM class is really easy. It's super simple. It's not like you don't sit in hours and hours and hours of meditation. It's it's really about learning about uh, much of what Bob has talked about in detail and very interesting, very informative and super simple. And it's only about, I don't know, 10 hours or something like that. I mean, it really isn't a huge commitment. So I would encourage anybody they feel super inspired by this conversation today, which I'm sure almost anyone who listens to it is like, I'm going to get on the TM wagon.
2: <laughs> because why... everybody should listen to Christine. Everyone should listen to Christine Carlson's podcast and tell your friends.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> and I just want to say, Bob, what a pleasure. I mean, truly, what a pleasure and honor it has been to have you on the podcast Thank you so much. I'd probably love to have you back again sometime so we can even talk further and deeper into this conversation. I can't tell you how rewarding it was for me. I've been all ears sitting here listening to every word and just eating it up. So thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you for having me on, and I'd be happy to come on your show anytime.
1: All right. Well, thanks, Bob. And um, thanks to our listeners, and come back again.
0: Thanks for listening to the Meditation and Mindfulness Series on the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with Christine Carlson. Chris has a free gift to offer you, The Guide to the Golden pause. Just as every podcast begins, you can experience your own golden pause every day. This simple guide can be found at christinecarlson.com forward slash golden paws guide. Download it now and make the Golden Pause a routine part of your busy schedule.